Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Happy Easter to everyone. Uh, great to be here. Welcome to Salt on Good Friday. Uh, fantastic. Uh, if you're here for the first time, if you've come back to church, welcome. Great to have you with us. Uh, we're at the very centre of Christianity this morning. We're at the heart of Christianity. Uh, the death of Jesus, the most significant event in all of history. The most awful event, but also the most wonderful event at the same time. The event that's changed all of human history and can change your life as well. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Uh, we're going to talk to God at the end of this talk. Uh, an opportunity for you to have your life changed. So that's, I'm, I don't want to creep up on you, that's what's coming. Um, so listen carefully. Uh, we're in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's historical account of what happened to Jesus. Um, so have your Bibles open, uh, see if you can see, see one if you don't, haven't brought one with you. Uh, but here it is. Uh, here is a key event before the death of Jesus on that first Good Friday. What's the key event? Jesus on trial. Uh, think courtroom, think legal headspace. Uh, let me paint the picture for you. There's a judge. Uh, we know who the judge is. It's the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Uh, we know who he is. We know who he is from outside of the Bible. Uh, he's a real historical figure. He's the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea in Israel. Uh, he served under Emperor Tiberius he served for 10 years between 26 AD and 36 AD, the exact pocket where Jesus is on trial and Jesus is crucified, confirming the biblical evidence we have here in Matthew's biography. And then we've got the accused, uh, Jesus, who stands representing himself. Uh, we've, it's a real courtroom drama, isn't it? We've got the prosecutors. Uh, you need to, need to go forward a few, couple there. You'll see... Keep going. There's the prosecutors. Uh, who are they? they? They are the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests, the, the elders, the hierarchy of the Jewish world, the Jewish religious world. Um, we're, we're used to juries, aren't we? Uh, isn't it lovely to go into a court and have the jury decide? Uh, there's no jury here. There's just a very, very angry crowd. A crowd uh, looking for blood, stirred up by the prosecutors. Uh, it, it feels... Everyone has it in for Jesus. Uh, in fact, the religious leaders have had it in for Jesus his whole life in ministry. And here is their opportunity to condemn him. Uh, here is their opportunity to bring judgment upon him. In fact, what we're meant to see here is here is the appearance of justice, but it's a farce. It's a very thin veneer. They're looking for blood. They're looking for condemnation. There's a great injustice that takes place on this first Good Friday. And here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see three profound things, something profound about Jesus, something profound about humanity, profound about us, and something deeply significant about the cross of Jesus that's relevant to us all. So let's, let's have a look. What, what, what do we see about Jesus? We're meant to see here very, very clearly, Jesus is innocent. Uh, Jesus is being convicted of a crime that he did not commit. He's about to be committed 
to the death penalty. Uh, the judge puts the question, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? But it's very clear, isn't it? They're not interested in justice. They're interested in condemnation. They're not interested in uh, genuine inquiry. They're interested... They're, what, what is this? It's a prejudiced investigation. How do we know that? We know that because all of Jesus' life and ministry for at least three years and probably longer unmistakably spoke about him being the Messiah. Uh, If you have eyes to see it, you see it for 26 chapters. Uh, His character, the way he speaks, his knowledge of the scripture, his authority, his kindness, his compassion, his miracles, the fact that he fulfills the Old Testament, it's all there to see if if you have eyes to see it. And they saw all this played out and yet they refuse it. They refuse to look at the evidence. Uh, They're not interested in genuine investigation. There's a deep prejudice against Jesus. And there's a deep prejudice that still exists to this day, isn't there? Uh, One of our goals here at, at SALT is that everyone in our city, in fact, it's our prayer for our nation, might investigate Jesus carefully, might come to know him as truly who he is the Messiah and trust him. But it's actually the events just before Jesus' death that actually make it even clearer that he's innocent. I don't know whether you noticed this, if you've been reading through. Uh, What's happened? The disciples have deserted Jesus. Uh, Peter, the star disciple, he's he's disowned Jesus three times. Uh, And then there's Judas. Judas has betrayed Jesus in in the most graphic way. Like he's a friend, he kissed with, a, with the, that death kiss, if you like, for 30 pieces of silver. But it's very explicit that, Ju- that Judas knows that Jesus is innocent. Uh, just in, before this little piece here, Judas, with great remorse, throws the money back in the face of the Jewish leaders. And look at, look at his words up here on the screen. He says, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. And the next words are just so telling. The religious leaders say to, say to him, what is that to us? We don't care. Reminds me of an old movie. If you're a Harrison Ford uh, fan, this is an older one, The Fugitive. It's a classic. Uh, Harrison Ford plays this doctor who's falsely accused of killing his wife and he's pursued by the cop, Tommy Lee Jones. And Harrison Ford is just constantly on the run. He's desperate to escape the authorities. He's desperate to declare his innocence. He truly is innocent. And there's that scene in the movie where he's, he's trapped in the tunnel. He's under gunpoint and he says, I'm innocent. And Tommy Lee Jones just stares at him and says, I don't care. They're looking for blood. He is innocent. Everyone knows it, but they want to condemn him. Pilate knows it. Pilate's just too weak. He's too evil a man to stand up for justice. He's so swayed by popularity, by what the crowd thinks. He's actually more concerned for himself, uh, for political expediency. Uh, He's meant to take responsibility for this this trial and condemn Jesus, but he doesn't take that responsibility. He washes his hands of the crime. In fact, do you notice that rather than declare Jesus innocent, he declares himself innocent? Even Pilate's wife 
knows Jesus is innocent. At least she has the decency to say something, right? Have a look in verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sends him this message. Here's how I imagine it happened. Uh, The SMS (laughs) comes through. Uh, Pilate looks at his phone. Pilate, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Uh, Yeah, Pilate should have listened to his wife. It is good to listen to your wife. Uh, Jesus really is innocent. But even Pilate's wife gets it wrong, doesn't she? Uh, It's not, don't have anything to do with this man. It's, trust this man. Here is the Messiah. You shouldn't be sitting in judgment over him. He is your judge. He is the good judge. Trust him. But Pilate doesn't listen. And it's the worst possible situation, isn't it? It's all heating up. There's a lot of emotion. The chief priests and elders are angry. This is a religious mafia that enrages the crowd. They they pressure people. The crowd is pressured. The crowd pressures the the judge. There's a whole stir. Everyone's being stirred. They cry for the blood of the Son of God. That's where it lands, right? there's, There's a madness in this crowd, isn't there? there'll be no talking sense in this crowd. And I reckon you look at that and you go, there's something just completely awful about humanity on display here, if you've got eyes to see it. Here is a crowd that set a light and then fires on one another to commit evil. There is humanity. There's, we've got to be honest about it, haven't we? There's an ugliness in our hearts that comes to the fore, it's always there, but it comes out to the fore when you're in a crowd. Have you noticed this? Sure, we have capacity for evil on our own, but there's something about us that means when we do things that we would only think of doing, uh, we, we actually do them when we see others doing them and we happily join in with them. Uh, if you push me on the right things the right buttons, I will behave atrociously in a crowd. And all you need to do is just push those right buttons, yeah? All you need to do is tap into my self-righteousness. All I need to do to stir you is to tap into your self-righteousness and you will fire. Isn't the media really good at doing this? Don't they know what what fires us? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter whether it's out of context. It's that headline, that quote that will spark us. In fact, what are the, some of the worst crowds today are the crowds that are online, yeah? Uh, online, you can find a crowd. You can find people that agree with you, that spark you, that fire you to do all kinds of things. You can join a community. You can even be anonymous and see where your heart will take you. As we think about this crowd, it would be nice to think, I would never do that. I would be the odd one out. Everyone else is saluting Hitler, but I would have never done that. But it's a fantasy. Given the right crowd, given the right fuel, we're just like this crowd. It's just arrogant to think otherwise. I reckon this part of the Bible is actually showing us deeply something about the human heart that is desperately wrong, has a desperate problem.
you could say it's groupthink. That craziness that if, if somehow we are together, we, our desire for harmony, conformity, makes us irrational, dysfunctional, throws truth out the window. It's, it's peer pressure, isn't it? It's the desire to just go along with the crowd, not to want to stick out. And it's an incredibly powerful motivator, isn't it? It's, it's social suicide, isn't it, to go against the crowd, to go against the culture. But that's, that's who we are. That's, that's us as human beings. We go with the flow. We swim with the current. We're the dead dog floating down the river. And as you, as you see this appalling treatment of Jesus, and you see it culminating not just in a crowd shouting at him, but a crowd shouting for his death, and then you see him horrifically put to death on the cross, it's totally right to say this is gross human failure on every single level. But we're not meant to read this and say, I would have done better. I reckon we're meant to read this and go, if I was there, I would have done the same thing. I reckon it's there by the grace of God, go I. If it wasn't God changing my heart radically, I would have done the same thing. Uh, it's what, it's the, what the Bible just keeps reminding us, that just the, the brute reality of, of where we stand before God. In Romans 3, it says, every mouth should be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Uh, When we come before the judge, everyone is quiet. There's a hush. No one can claim self-righteousness. Because reality is, when God sends his pure, perfect, loving king into the world, we murdered him. And we should read this account and think, there's our capacity for evil. There's our capacity for injustice, brutality, cruelty, cowardice. It's just a reminder of how we are culpable for our persistent failure, not to to stand up for what is right. Uh, We're very quick, aren't we, to blame others, blame politicians, blame the system, blame big business, whatever it is. But the problem is actually with us. You and I are part of the problem. You may have heard this before, but many years ago, the the editor of the British Times, he put this question out in the newspaper, uh, and the question was simply, what is wrong with the world? People write all kinds of different answers in. Um, People talk about the problems of politicians, big business, the system of government, uh, raising kids, parenthood, schools... You can imagine the answers that come in. They're not actually that different to the answers we'd have today, perhaps. But here is the shortest and the most profound answer that came in the next week. Up on the screen, Dear Sir, in answer to your question, what is wrong with the world, I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. See, this courtroom scene is a snapshot of humanity. And in this snapshot there is only one good person that emerges and it's Jesus, isn't it? Here he is, unfairly accused and how does he respond? So unlike us, isn't it? Uh, We don't do well at all when we are falsely accused. 
But here is Jesus who responds with great strength. Here is the lamb before the slaughter who is silent. Or only says with great strength and personal conviction that the the smallest amount of words. With great dignity, uh, he doesn't need to defend himself. When he's asked, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus says. You know who I am. I don't need to defend myself. And can I say, you're meant to see the glory and the greatness of Jesus here. Uh, In this scene, who would you most like to be? When everyone is behaving atrociously, look at Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, here is your captain. Here is your example. Here is your model. Here is Jesus with great poise, grace, trust in his heavenly Father. Here is Jesus who, like Job, said, am I just to receive good from God, but not also bad? Here is Jesus who loves his enemies, who submits to his heavenly Father no matter what. Here is Jesus who endures suffering, not because of doing wrong, but because he's done good. Here is Jesus who doesn't return insult for insult, doesn't threaten, but entrusts himself to his heavenly father. Jesus really does redefine greatness, yeah? In fact, let me push it further. He redefines what it means to be human. In the Roman world, in our world, in a world where celebrity, where power over others is king, Jesus acts differently. But you know, we also learn something extraordinary about the cross. There's, there is a chance for justice here. Uh, that moment comes when Pilate puts a choice before the crowd. Uh, it's this Roman annual custom where one prisoner can be released. And, and the question is, will it be Barabbas or will it be Jesus? Now, we know who Barabbas is. Barabbas is a notorious criminal. Uh, one of the other accounts of Jesus' life tells us he's an insurrectionist. Another word for terrorist. Uh, He's an absolute mongrel of a man. And he's known to be a criminal. And they should have released Jesus at this moment, shouldn't they? It's another test of human character. They had the opportunity to do right, but they didn't take it. And so what happens? Barabbas is set free. And Jesus is condemned. And can you see that he, hours before the cross... Matthew's showing us something about the character of the cross. Can you see that here an innocent man in Jesus has been declared guilty and sent off to be condemned? And can you see that here a guilty man, Barabbas, has been declared innocent, has been set free? Why did God let this happen? Why is Barabbas let free? Why is Jesus going to the cross? Well, Jesus willingly goes to the cross, doesn't he? He said it from the, he said it from the beginning, it's not my will but yours to his father. He, he said again and again, I must go to the cross. This is not happening to Jesus. Jesus is in control as king. But what's happening at the cross? What's this picture of Barabbas and Jesus about? It's Jesus the king, the innocent one, 
is about to stand in the place of us, the guilty ones, on the cross. He will take the rap, he will face judgment from God so that we, the guilty ones, might go free. There's the heart of Christianity, there's the heart of Easter, that's what Easter's all about. Jesus is being punished so that we, like Barabbas, the guilty ones, might go free. Have a look at this verse on the screen, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So Jesus, the righteous one, stands where we should have stood, the unrighteous ones. Jesus takes the rap for what we have done. In fact, it's what Jesus cries out on the cross, isn't it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is forsaken for us. He faces the judgment of God so that we might never face the judgment of God. And so it's awful what's happened to Jesus, but there's a supremely good outcome, isn't there? Look at the verse again. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. There's the outcome that all those who trust in Jesus are forgiven, come to God, have relationship with God, have their, the slate wiped clean, have peace with God. That makes Good Friday good, yeah? That's, what, that's why we call it Good Friday. But just before we get there, can you see how serious sin is? Sin cost Jesus his life. It's not a nothing. And you see how deep the love of Jesus is for his Father that he would go to the cross? You see how deep the love is for us that he would go to the cross for us? Uh, Matthew tells us right from the beginning, this is the whole reason he came, to save us from our sins. Uh, Not that we love God, not that we're great, but that he loved us and sent Jesus in our place. Now, there's one man in this account who is far, far from sorrowful, isn't there? Have a look at Barabbas. This is amazing, isn't it? We've got a photo of Barabbas. (laughs) Um, But he's the only one in the courtroom smiling, yeah? But can I say, if if you've put your trust in Jesus, it really is worth smiling today. It really is a good Friday. He, He was released, he was pardoned. And that's you and I, if you've trusted Jesus. You and I are Barabbas, released. And let me turn the picture around a little bit for you. We we sit in God's courtroom. God is not in the dock. God is on the throne. God is the king. He's the risen Messiah. He's the judge. He's been vindicated by God. doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. That's what his father thinks of him. He was risen on the third day. He is our judge and we're in the dock. We're the guilty ones. And one day we'll stand before him and that'll be very clear. Are we the one who is ashamed and guilty or are we the one who's been forgiven Uh, because Jesus stood in our place and we trusted him? Will Jesus say of you, I have died for this one. His sins are forgiven. Her guilt has been removed. It's good news. It's very, very good news. It's a very, very good Friday. Uh, I want you to celebrate it if, you're, if you've received that pardon. 
If you put your trust in Jesus, you're a freed prisoner. What are you? You're a forgiven sinner. You're a child of God. And this is a weekend to celebrate. But can I say, if you haven't accepted the pardon, you could, you could do that today. Now, I learned this, this week that apparently the nature of... Well, it's obvious, isn't it? The nature of a pardon is you do need to accept it. And the craziness is some criminals have received pardons and not accepted them. Can you believe that? And they've gone on to be condemned. But don't let that be you. This, how about this, this Easter, even this day, walk free like Barabbas. Uh, know the peace, know the security of being forgiven and a child of God, real relationship with God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We can all pray this prayer together. But what's the alternative? The alternative is perhaps, there may be a couple of alternatives. One is that you, you do need to think about it more. We'd, we'd love to explore that with you. Make sure you, um, on the contact card, just say, I want to find out more about Jesus. I want to come to, along uh, and explore Jesus with, with us. We'd love to help you with that. So do that. Explore, consider Jesus before you put your trust in him. But another alternative is not so great and that's the alternative where you, you keep throwing the, the death of Jesus back in God's face. I've got another idea. I'll just be good enough. I'll just try and be religious. I'll just try and be a little bit better than the person next to me. And what you're saying is Jesus' death didn't matter. Jesus' death didn't have to happen which is incredibly offensive to God, isn't it? Uh, Don't do that. Put your trust in Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. It's a very simple prayer uh, that just says, God, I know in the honesty of my own heart I'm guilty. I want you to forgive me. Please pardon me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Help me now to live as a free person. Let's pray together. Dear God, I know I'm guilty before you. Please forgive me. I want to accept your pardon for me. Thank you for sending Jesus in my place. Thank you his death was for my sins. Help me now to live as a free person, serving Jesus as my Lord. Amen.